about vacationing with his wife one summer in, uh, uh, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And if you've ever been there, it's a beautiful place, beautiful area of the country. And, and one night they found a little restaurant where they were looking forward to a private meal. And uh, while they were waiting for their food, there was a distinguished looking older gentleman, white haired man going around from table to table talking to people. And this preacher was sitting there with his wife and he was, he was really hoping, you know, that the guy wouldn't come by. Just leave us alone. We're, you know, we kind of got away from everybody. We're on this vacation. I don't want to talk to anybody but my wife. Well, of course, the, the older man finally made his way over to their table and he asked him, you know, where are you folks from? And the preacher said, we're from Oklahoma. And the older man said, well, Oklahoma, I've never been there. I've heard great things about it. He said, what do you do for a living? And this preacher said, well, I teach, I teach homiletics at the graduate seminary. So the older man says, okay, well, so you teach preachers how to preach? He said, yes, that's a good way of putting it. And so uh, the older man said, well, I've got a story to tell you. And he grabbed a chair and pulled it up to their table. And this preacher was saying, man, everybody's got a story, you know. So the man stuck out his hand and he said, my name is Ben Hooper. And they began to talk. And he said, I was, not, I was born not far from here. He said, just over those mountains. And uh, my mother wasn't married when I was born. And so I had a pretty hard time growing up. He said, a lot of kids made fun of me. He said, when I went to school at recess, uh, I would go off by myself. He said, kids would make fun of me, call me names. And, and I just had a really rough time growing up. And he said, I hated going to town on Saturday, Saturday afternoons because in our small town, I, you know, I just knew everybody was looking at me and wondering who my dad was. And he said, it really bothered me so badly as a young, as a young kid. He said, when I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church. And he said, no, I went to church, but I always got there a few minutes late. And I always left as soon as he said the last prayer. I got up and I got out of there. And, um, and he said, well, one week, he prayed so fast, he said, I kind of got stuck in the crowd. And I didn't make my way out. I couldn't escape and get out before the preacher got back to shake hands. And so he said, I was back there in the back. And I walked by the preacher and he stuck out his hand and he shook my hand. And he said, um, he said who are you, son? Whose boy are you? And this older man telling the story said, I just looked up at him with this fear in my heart. And he said, I'm thinking even the preacher's about to make fun of me. He said, but he looked down, the preacher looked down at me and he began to smile like he recognized me. And he made the statement, he said, wait a minute, I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You're a child of God. He said, then he slapped me across the rump and said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. And the old man looked across the table at the preacher and said, those were the most important words anybody ever said to me, and I've never forgotten them. And with that, he shook the hands of the preacher and he left their table. And as he walked away, the, the preacher at the table there began to remember. He grew up in Tennessee. He had Tennessee state history before, and he remembered. That name sounded very familiar. There were two men elected to the governor, uh, elected as governor of the state of Tennessee who did not have a dad. And one of them was a man by the name of Ben Hooper. And this is a young man who grew up with all the confidence in the world, simply knowing that he was a child of God. He had nothing to feel inadequate about. He had all the wisdom of the universe in the word of God. He was a child of God and had all the, all the understanding now to know that there was no reason for him to be ashamed of his lineage, ashamed of his heritage, because he was a saint of God and a child of God. Often many of us will feel inadequate in our lives because we don't know, we don't remember our position, our position in Christ. Oftentimes we hear that in church, but we just think, well, that's just church talk. We don't apply it to our day-to-day -day life to really understand I am a child of God. 
I've had no reason to feel inadequate. God placed me in this world. He placed me in this family. He placed me in this church. He placed me in this job. And he's given me all the tools to be able to do what he's called me to do. Not only are you a saint not in a child of God, but number two, how else do I, should I deal? How else can I deal with inadequacy? Number two, realize your possessions. Realize your possessions in Christ. Look, we live in a world that deals, that, you know, that, that measures success by what you have. The car you drive, the house you live in, uh, uh, all of those things, how much money you have, uh, the clothes that you're wearing. We look at all those things and some of you, you know, some of you might be like me. You pull into the church parking lot and you see that guy driving that truck thinking, man, I wish I had me one of those. You know, or you see somebody at work thinking, man, I wish I lived in a house like they did or I wish I had that. And we look at possessions and material things uh, as a measure of success in this world. But what you're about to read next is going to open many eyes of what we have in Jesus Christ. Look there at Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, there's two words I want you to look at again there. Look at that passage of Scripture there. Look and put a circle around it if you have a pen. Or at least remember them in your mind. And that is the word hath and the word all. All right, present tense. Hath is present tense. Like you have it. You be having it right now. All right. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Look, it's not, it's not you're going to get these spiritual blessings and one day you'll have these spiritual blessings. But Paul says, no, 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 wait a second here. Blessed be God and the Father of Lord Jesus Christ who hath, hath, present tense, blessed us with all spiritual blessings. We're not told that one day God will give us all that we need. He's already given us all that we need to be what God desires for us to be. Look, the greatest blessings in life are spiritual blessings. Oftentimes young people need to hear that. The greatest blessings in life are not the things you drive, not the places you live. They are spiritual blessings. We've already been blessed with spiritual blessing that can be found in Jesus. So think about this. You don't need what you already have. And in Jesus, you already have everything that you need. You have all the love that you need. You have all the joy that you need. You have all the peace that you need. You have all the goodness that you need. Too often we go to prayer and we ask the Lord to give us things and he says, I already gave it to you. You already have that. You're asking for something that I've already given you. It's like me having 10 bucks and handing it, having it sitting on the table, handing it ready for my kids to take it uh, to go out to eat. And uh, they come to me and say, Dad, I need, I, need, I need some money to eat. It's right there for you. But, but Dad, but Dad, no, I need, I need money to go out to eat. But it's right there. I've already had. But Dad, no, look, we got to go. I need this really bad. People are waiting on us. We got to go. The money's right here. We would think, well, how foolish. But yet so often in our Christian life, we go praying for things. God, I need peace in my life. I need peace. There's so much turmoil and I need peace in my life. And the Lord says, it's, it's right here. I've given it. I need more love. I have no joy in my life. There's no joy and no happiness. And I live a life, Lord, I need it. And he says, look, it's right here. We don't take it. Why? Because we don't live a life of the fullness of the Holy Ghost. We reject the Holy Spirit. We say, well, when the Holy Spirit convicts us and begins to work in our heart, we don't make decisions. We don't change anything. We don't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then the whole time we say, but Lord, I need more peace and I need more joy. And he says, well, well, here it is right here. No, no, I don't want it that way. I want it handed to me over here. 
And often we say, I don't want to, I don't want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's just right here saying, I, I'm here. The fruit of the Spirit, the result of walking in the Spirit is what? It's love, joy, peace. People say all the time, I need to pray for more patience. And the Lord says, I've given you patience. It's following the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's called long-suffering. I've given that to you already, but you don't walk in the Spirit. So, God, give me more patience. And we try really, really hard. And no wonder we feel inadequate. Because we don't open God's Word. We don't spend time dwelling in God's Word. We don't spend time in prayer. We definitely do not live the Scripture, pray without ceasing. In fact, we may whisper a prayer here and there, a five-minute little ditty every once in a while. And then we wonder why we're not getting all the things that the Bible promises that we should have. And the Lord's saying, it's right here. You're not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're not walking with me. You're not listening to the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says we can grieve and quench, ultimately, the Holy Spirit of God. God. So yet, yeah, so often we ask for things that the Lord's already given us. And I wonder how many times the Lord has been so frustrated with me. Bartlett, it's right here. Well, Lord, this is what I need. Bartlett, listen to me. You're not paying attention. You're not walking with me, but I don't want to walk with you. I just want you to give me stuff. We want to treat God like the genie. I want my magic wishes, and I want you to give me what I want, but I don't want to have to do anything for it. And the Lord says, look, I've given you all the spiritual blessings, and you don't have to do anything for it other than walking with me. And we think, well, I've just, I, I haven't done this enough. Maybe, 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 I need to, uh, maybe I need to cut this out of my life, and, and, I, and I need to add this in my life. And we do everything. We try to come up with man-made rituals and things, or we try to figure out ways to appease God, almost like the, the heathens when they worship their gods. We want to appease our God. God says, I love you. I love you, even if you're acting like an idiot. Even if you're acting like a fool, I still love you. And we're trying to say, God, please love me. Please give me. And the Lord says, I've blessed you with all spirit. I have, present tense, blessed you with all spiritual blessings. But you just have to follow the map here. You have to abide in me and let my words abide in you. And you shall ask what you will and I'll give it to you. So, well, God, I want to abide in you. We don't spend time walking with the Lord and we wonder why we don't have the things that we have. Why do we feel inadequate? Because we don't take, take possession of what God has given us. We don't realize and comprehend the possessions of being a child of God. Look, when you become a follower of Jesus, well, well let me put it this way. There's a lady who one time went to the bank and she went to the banker. She said, I want to open a joint bank account. The banker said, great, we can help you with that. Who would you like to open an account with? And the lady said, a millionaire. That's a good deal right there. I'm going to try that one. You know, when we got saved, we got a joint bank account with Jesus Christ. We opened a joint account with him. And the Lord is greater than the greatest. He's richer than the richest. For your grief, we have his grace. For your problems, we have his wisdom. For your weakness, you have his strength. For your needs, you have his will. And for your sins, you have his forgiveness. We think that the problem is we don't have what we need. And the real problem is we don't realize we, can ha we have it and we can get it anytime we want. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. If you don't believe Paul, listen to Peter. We were memorizing this passage of scripture in our high school Bible class. 2 Peter 1 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. According as his divine power, he's already, hath, present tense, he hath already given to us all things that pertain to life 
and godliness. What are the things that you and I are always asking for? Things that pertain to life. Lord, help me in my life. I've got these kids I got to raise. Help. I've got these bills I got to pay. Lord, help. I've got this problem with this relationship over here. Lord, help. I've got this issue I'm dealing with at work. Lord, help. We have all of these things that pertain to life. And then we hear preaching from God's word of how we are supposed to live as Christians. And we think, well, I can't be that good. And I've got temptation that I'm giving into. And I've got this that I'm failing at. And I just, I'm just not good at anything. And the Lord says, look, I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? 2 Peter 1, 3, through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue. Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We don't spend time in his word. We don't spend time in a relationship with the Lord. And yet we complain and we fuss and we, in despair, we go to God and he says, I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him. It's important for us to know what we already have the possessions that we have in Christ. If you go back to the Garden of Eden at the very beginning, you read these words. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he then. Verse 28, and God blessed them. He blessed them. God created them. And then right after that, he blessed them. What did Adam and Eve do to deserve the blessing of God? Nothing. What have you and I done to deserve the blessing of God? Nothing. He also, the Bible tells us, now look, we can't get away from the fact, the Bible tells us God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We, we, we sit back and say, I want all the possessions of God. I want all the things that I, that I need for life. And the Lord says, I'm going to give them to you if you will seek me. I have them here for you. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He blesses you because you are point number one, a child of God, your position in Christ. These blessings are already there. If you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, those blessings are available to you. So realize your position in Christ as a saint, as a child of God. Number two, recognize your possessions, what you have already in Christ. And then thirdly, it just kind of wraps all of it up together. You got to change your viewpoint. You got to change your viewpoint. If you want to listen to what Paul says about, uh, uh, says, if you want to listen to what else Paul says is true about every believer in Christ, let's look at it. Ephesians chapter one, let's look at verse number four. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Here's what God's done for you. He chose you. He loves you. He has adopted you. And then get down to verse number six there. Ultimately, he has fully, completely, finally accepted you. You're accepted. What's the great fear that young people have? Being accepted. What is the great fear that people have in, 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 in relationships? Am I going to be accepted? You know, kids deal with that with peer pressure. Let's be honest. Adults deal with that too. When I go to my job, this new job I'm starting, am I going to be accepted? When I come into this church, are they going to accept me? 
Well, oftentimes we have those feelings of wondering if we're accepted, and yet the Bible tells us we're already accepted in Christ. And again, we have our focus down here on relationships and people and things, and the Lord says, I've already given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. I've given you all the acceptance that you need. I'm gonna give you the secret here to self-esteem. Self-esteem comes from what God says about you, not about how others see you. That's it. Self-esteem, self-image comes based on what God sees in you, not based on what everybody else thinks about you. Look, we're all adults here, most of us. We're, we're old we understand people's opinions are fleeting and they change. Some of y'all like me sometimes. Some of y'all hate my gut sometimes. And guess what? Feelings mutual, all right? <laughs> you know, I, I, like, I like football. Sometimes I think my coach is the smartest guy in the world. Sometimes I think if he, if, if he failed to go to football school the day they were teaching football. Our opinions are changing. And oftentimes we live for the approval and the opinions of others. Now, I don't mean that you, that doesn't give you the, the license to go around and be a jerk to everybody. Your opinion don't matter. That's not how we're supposed to live, of course. But understand this. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted in Christ. Fully, completely accepted as a child of God. You've got to center your identity in Christ. If you, want to, if you want to live a life where you're not feeling inadequate and unworthy all the time and feel like a failure, you have to center your identity in Christ. If you center your life and your identity on your spouse or somebody else, your children, you'll become emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling. If you center your life on your work and your career and what you can accomplish there, You'll become a workaholic. You'll sacrifice your family on the altar of success. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you'll become selfish, you'll become materialistic, and then ultimately you'll live a life worrying about losing everything that you've attained. If you center your life on pleasure and fun and the, the feeling of feeling good, you'll wind up in addiction to something or with a disease from something. If you center your life and your identity on your goodness and your religion, then you'll become proud, self-righteous. But inwardly, you'll live a life filled with guilt because you and I know you can never be good enough. If you center your identity and realize who you are in Jesus, then you'll be secure in knowing who God has created you to be. Years ago, in the 1950s, there was a statue found in Bangkok, Thailand. And it was a big, it was a big clay plaster thing that they were moving. Uh, Buddhist monks were moving it. And while they were moving it, uh, uh, they, they dropped it. There's a varying number of stories on exactly how it happened. But ultimately, they dropped it. A big, massive piece of plaster, about 10 feet tall. And a big chunk of that plaster came off of it. Well, when they were looking at this, at this big thing, and by the way, this, is, this has been there for literally hundreds of years. This big sculpture thing had been there for hundreds of years. I mean, visitors used to come by, put Coke cans on top of it and, and stuff like that. And, and I mean, it was just kind of observed and thought of as just a, a wasteful piece of, of clay. Well, once it cracked, they saw a, a, a shiny yellow glimmer come from inside it. So carefully, they began to tear away the plaster. And what they discovered was a 10-foot-tall, all-gold statue of Buddha. This thing was incredibly heavy, 
and they didn't realize why. It was completely made of gold. The thing values at over $196 million. It's the largest gold sculpture that's ever been made. Intricate design and everything. What happened? These people had no idea what they had in their possession. They had no clue. They kind of looked at this, this big piece of plaster sculpture thing that was just in the way, never realizing what was really inside of it. Years and years and years before, many of the Buddhists were afraid of some invaders coming in and taking this, so they covered it up in plaster so that the invaders would not think it was worth anything. And guess what? It worked to the degree that hundreds of years later, no one knew exactly what was under that thing. And they found out what great possession they had, never knowing what they had in their, in their midst. And I think many of us Christians, we live our life that way. We've got this Holy Spirit that, that the Bible says lives in us, but to us, it's just this big hunk of something that kind of gets in the way. It convicts me of things, and I don't like it. It tries to draw me to the Lord, and I don't like it. And it just is kind of in the way, not realizing that if I would cut the plaster off of it and just realize, pay attention, what worth and what value I have in Christ, it would completely change my life. And yet, we somehow, somehow we desire all the things that the Lord says, I've already given it to you. You have great wealth beyond, beyond your imagination. Maybe not in, in finances and in money, but we have all things that pertain to life and godliness already in us and from the word of God. And yet we fail to diligently seek the Lord, not realizing who we are and realizing what we have. So ultimately, if you're going to conquer these feelings of inadequacy, the ball's in your court. You've got to change your viewpoint. You have the greatest possession and the most precious possessions from the most important person in all the universe. Here's what you have to remember. You were so important to God that he sent his son to die for you. Most of us, we've been in church a long time. We've heard that a million times and it just kind of becomes old hat. But stop and think. You were so valuable to God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. You're not inadequate. Each one of us has value. If we remember our position and what God's given us in our possessions, it would change our lives. Let's go out of here tonight with a renewed desire to seek the Lord, with a renewed desire to follow the Holy Spirit. And let's not waste time praying for things that God's already given us, all things that pertain to life, all things that pertain to godliness. We can have them through the knowledge of him, through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. Let's pray together tonight.